You've heard me talk about Tacovas, the company carrying on all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. Well, longtime listener Jeremy emailed me to say, Zabe, I was on a work trip to Austin, knew about Tacovas from the podcast, stopped into the store. Next thing you know, I've got a damn good pair of boots and I'm looking sharp with a nice buzz to boot. Giddy up. Tacovas believes in Western for all. And you can feel that when you stop in one of their stores and get custom fitted for a new pair of boots. If you can't make it into the store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and the most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit Tacovas.com. That's T E C O V A S.com and point your toes west. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tacovas has said they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 at Tacovas.com. Just use promo code ZABE, that's promo code Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, at checkout. It's a $30 value, and they sell out fast. Only at Tacovas.com. Today on the ZabeCast, John ja Morant could use former NBA first overall bust Kwame Brown as his dad. Wait till you hear the clip of Hollow Point Truth that Kwame unloads on the Grizzly superstar. Georgetown sports marketing professor Marty Conway joins us today to talk a variety of topics, including why changing the commander's name right away would be a terrible idea. Your 40 minute dose of pure me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Tuesday, May 16, 2023. Thank you for downloading and happy birthday to my daughter, Megan, who turns 21. 21 years young. Let me be the old fuddy-duddy who says once again to everyone out there with small children, it goes by so quick. It'll go by in a flash. When in fact it doesn't go by in a flash, there's a lot of long, hard years in between when they were cute and sweet and innocent, like five, six, seven years old. At least with girls, I know this. You know, right around eight or nine and they get super sassy and then they start thinking they know everything and they start treating you as dad as more disposable as like you're working for them so there's a lot of long hard years from eight until 21 but when you get to 21 you'll look back and you'll think man that went by in a blink take lots and lots of video horizontal Never vertical. Never. You can always crop vertically later. You can never crop it back horizontal once you fucked it up going vertical. Take lots of video. Not just photos. Lots of video. Make sure to save the video. Once upon a time, you know, you had to buy 8 millimeter film and get it developed. And you'd only had like, I don't know how many minutes came in a typical reel of it. But it, it wasn't very many minutes and there was no sound. And your dad or your mom took that home video and it becomes priceless as you get older that you have these clips of you, just short little clips. Oh, look at me. I'm riding my bike there in the street. Look at how small the trees were. Think of now the richness of the media that 
is available to us with simply a blink press of your thumb on your phone in superior 4K high definition with audio and in stabilization and great sound now. Oh, and by the way, please wipe off your camera lens. But you won't get that stuff if you don't take it in the first place. A lot of people think, well, I just want a photo because I don't know how to edit video and it takes up space on my phone. And then, you know, uh, I can't post it right away necessarily to my Facebook page. I mean, I can, but I'm used to just, a, a photo is good enough. I'm here to say a photo is fine. Take some photos, but take video. And then make sure you save it. Make sure you back it up. And in 20 years, it's going to age like the finest wine you've ever seen or tasted. And that ends my lecture on taking videos of your kids. I want to talk golf for a second. I know you people love it when I talk golf. It excites you, energizes you. You say, oh, good. Golf on the regular podcast when I already don't listen to the Capital Golf Gang, which is available on the Red Circle platform and elsewhere. So, yes, please do uh, litter up this Zabecast with golf. Isn't that what you guys say? Or Oh, no, wait. That's not what you say. Damn you people, this is golf! Couple golf things. Number one, my 12th annual, almost annual, the pandemic wiped us out one year, my 12th edition of the Bloody Horns takes place July 22nd at the Bull in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Sheboygan Falls. It is a spectacular Jack Nicholas design. The only Jack Nicholas design in the entire state of Wisconsin on any a stunning piece of property. It's a beautiful course. It's under new ownership. Uh, John Dunphy, who's going to come with me to Scotland, is one of the co-owners of the New Bull. It is in great shape. They're doing a great job with it. We're very honored and pleased to be back there again for the 12th edition of this. It is a two-man scramble. It's a competitive scramble. Most scrambles are hit, giggle, get drunk, fall down. Gee, that five and a half hours sure did go quickly. Answer, no, it didn't go quickly. It was the slowest, lamest round of golf ever. That's a normal scramble. Now, it's you know usually for charity, so you put up with it. Two-man scramble is different. We play from the tippity-tip-tip-tips all the way back. 7,356-some-odd yards of Jack Nicholas anger. Yeah, that's right, son of a bitch. See how good you are from the back tees, buddy boy. <laughs> it's a hell of a course from back there, by the way, too. Come on. I don't mind you walking. You're you pr- pretty look at, but I don't want you walking right back forth from the line. <laughs> the button's malfunctioning again. Anyway, you can uh, get a good partner, and you play the better of your two shots all the way around the course. And it's really hard because some of these holes, it's just hard to reach the fairway and get it in play. But it's a good, fun challenge, and I appreciate everybody who's played it played in it in the past. For more information, go to bloodyhorns.com. That's bloodyhorns.com. I did change the way you can secure your spot signing up. You can either cash app me, and it's on the website, bloodyhorns.com, or you can snail mail me a check. You're like, are you kidding me? In 2023, that's what you're doing? Yes, because the online software programs that are set up for events, Eventbrite and Event Create, they take an outrageous cut of entry fees uh, that I find unacceptable. 
So I'm just like, you know what? With a little bit of work, just sit down like you're writing a bill and write out a check. Or if you got the cash app, cash app me. And don't say, well, do you have PayPal? Do you have Venmo? Do you have this? That's the problem with all these digital cash or digital payment apps. There's so many of them. I used to have multiple ones. I used to have Venmo and PayPal. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't want all these things. So I just decided to go with Cash App. Anyway, bloodyhorns.com, Saturday, July 22nd at the Bull. Get your best do si partner, even if you know you're going to get slaughtered and take the Bull by the horns and get gored. Still come on out. Still have a great time. We'd love to see you. Bloodyhorns.com. Golf-related thing number two. Damn you people, this is golf! I know, you're like, uh Friday, I'm leaving to Pinehurst with myself, Hatch, and Screaming Eagle, Bob Miller. Three guys in the car going down south, I-95, down to good old Pine Needles Resort in North Carolina. Pine Needles Lodge, golf course, Pine Needles Mid-Pines. That's our home for this Malcolm McLeod tournament we've done now for 21 years. Last year, we had to flee to Myrtle Beach because the U.S. Women's Open was at Pine Needles, and it wiped out the whole month of May, and we're like, fuck. Let me tell you, Myrtle Beach is fine for certain golf trips, golf outings, but it sucked for our event. We had a terrible time. We're glad to be back at this place this year. But a tradition unlike any other is for us to stop on the way down somewhere not too far off of I-95, then I-85, once we get into North Carolina, stop not too far off of that route from D.C. down to Pinehurst. And I'm looking for a place for us to play. Doesn't have to be a private club where you as a member are inviting us to play at no cost to the league. But if that happened, we wouldn't turn it down. We've had a number of people in the past generously say, sure, I'll have you. And if it takes paying a guest fee at a nice private club that's somewhere not too far off the beaten path on Friday then that's great as well. I have had a number of people invite me to play Caves, or not Caves Valley, but to play Kinlock in Richmond. Had a member invite me to the Foundry, which is, I think, one click below Kinlock. Although I've never played Kinlock, but I've heard it's probably a little bit even nicer. People at the Foundry love their place as well. I've played there. You people have been very generous. What do you mean, you people? Listeners have been very generous saying, hey, come play my place. will be great. Uh, no problem. Whatever. So if anyone out there, and this is me casting a line, bzzz, bloop, bloop, little bobber in the water, let me know. And it could be anywhere. It could be in North Carolina as well. We get up and we go wheels up, barreling down 95 at 6 a.m. on Friday so we can get down there, get a quick round in somewhere on the way down in that no man's area between D.C. and Pinehurst that we wouldn't otherwise go play. And we played public courses as well. But anyway, the the bobber is in the water and the worm is getting wet. And if we get a bite, we get a bite. It's last minute, I know. So I'm, I'm expecting nothing. Okay, that said, let's get to what's going on. John Morant. Well, he is uh, in the news, he has been suspended, and he's getting a lot of people taking shots at him. Taking shots? 
or maybe offering solid life advice. Kwame Brown, who for years in D.C. was a punchline, a joke, the poster boy for, oh my God, this kid did not get it. He was mentally soft, clueless in the big city, and pretty much washed out of the league in almost no time whatsoever, although he had a nice little run with the Lakers after he left D.C. He made a bit of waves, I think during the pandemic, when he recorded a bunch of videos and into his phone, he was just dishing out whatever personal life thoughts he had about this, that, and the other. He's apparently got a farm down in North Carolina. He's doing pretty well. He's gone from NBA big man to a regular old seven-foot African-American farmer who is not afraid to talk tough. It's not like he's gone all nerdy, like, "Ah, hey, guys, I'm here farming the land. He's just like, no, this is what I want to do for a living going forward, and I like it, and I'm going to do it. Boy, Kwame Brown had no use for John Morant and just let him have it. Now, I'm going to play these clips. Uh, one wonderful thing about spending, oh, a good 30 minutes editing these two short one-minute clips that I have, that's it. It was like a five-minute rant. I pulled two one-minute snippets. The wonderful thing about me spending so much time doing that is I now can spot visually, by waveform only, the word motherfucker. If you were just to show me a waveform, I would just be like, uh, I don't know what that word is. I don't know what that word is. Oh, hold on a second. You might want to take that one out. That waveform with a whoop de doop boop boop that's motherfucker. You know why? Because I took out about 30 of them in the span of this. Uh, Kwame also uses the fatal N-word for guys like me who uh, don't happen to be black, and so therefore it is like the King Cobra or the, dare I say, Black Mama. It is the fatal snake that terrifies us. It makes me cringe and my skin crawl when I hear others like Kwame Brown use it and he's got free reign to use it according to the rules of society. I had to take all those out as well. And I took them out. I excised those with the widest scalpel I could to keep the soundbite from falling apart. But Kwame Brown, who, yes, was an NBA fuck-up, admits as such, but has now got his life on a good trajectory, you know, simple farming life. Kwame Brown just took Ja to the woodshed. Take a listen to the first of these two one-minute clips. Yeah, it's okay for you to have a gun. You have a, uh, uh, in our, you have a right. You have a Second Amendment right to have a gun. But what the do you keep pulling it out menacing for? What is up with all this music you keep listening to? Is this music putting you in a trance, dumbass boy? Because this music is about to cost you your career. You're going to be bouncing around with all day long, just listening to music in the backyard of a goddamn shack if you keep on being a jackass. And your friends ain't your goddamn friend. Because I done 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 before. And you know when I noticed a real friend? A real friend... They're going to tell you when you're wrong and then they ain't going to argue with you, but they just not going to participate and go with you in the booth. That 
Nigga that got that cell phone and knew you got a gun and know you dumb enough to pull it out on camera, he should have never been recording your dumb ass because you NBA dumb boy. Thank God you can shoot a damn basketball you can jump because that's about all you can do. Your brain is fucked up. Wow. Now look, before I play the second one, it has to be said, you have to be very careful not to overly celebrate what my friend Jay would surely call black-on-black crime here. That no matter how right Kwame Brown is, it's just not good for either person or for anybody for there to be such uh, brutal honesty and commentary from Kwame to John Morant. And so I'm not sitting here like going, oh, this is great. Look at this black-on-black crime. No, no, it's not that. It's just he's right about the friends thing. Like, this guy is not your friend. Your friend would not do that. And your friend is dining out on you. So that was part one of this. Part two is as follows. Everybody got a gun. Who you think you finna scare by showing somebody that little ass pistol? That ain't gonna scare nobody. So what the are you doing? I, by the way, it would scare me. That, that, that quote little ass pistol, it could kill you quite easily. All you doing is making yourself look stupid. You are lowering yourself to the level of your friends. That's true. And they're not your friends. Because your friends should have looked at you with that damn gun in your hand, slapped that out your hand, and fought you on camera. Because you know why? At least the white folks that paying you could say, you know what? At least he got somebody around him that care about him. That should have been whipping your ass with that gun on camera so them white folks cannot void your goddamn contract because he eating off your dumb ass and you going to sink the whole ship because you want to be a street and the white folks not going to leave you with that type of money you trying to be a street so your daddy can smile at every game all he want to but the moment them white folks see that goddamn picture boy you finna lose a ton of money yeah i mean he's not wrong about yes the nba owners are overwhelmingly white i think bob johnson Founder of BET Network once owned the Charlotte Bobcats, hence the name. But I believe he's out now or has been out for some time. Not totally comfortable with the way that perhaps, you know, Kwame puts it. I would hope that if there was a league of 30 black billionaires, they too would be like, look, if you don't get it real quick, we're going to void your contract. This is bad business for all of us, but Kwame is not wrong in that regard. Is there anybody else that can step up and be blunt forth, blunt force truthful? I guess we're all going to wait for the next edition of Inside the NBA with Ernie, Kenny, Charles, and Shaq. And I don't know of another trip back to Jalen Rose to sit down and understand what it's like you know, to come from a tough neighborhood. And by the way, I was wrong. I was wrong. I, I, John Moran did not really come from a rough background. He did come from a nuclear family. His dad, of course, is famously courtside at many, if not all, their games. So in a way, you know, John Moran is kind of LARPing, live-action role-playing. He wants to feel like he is more tough or more street than he really is. But my God. Aim your sights higher. Kevin Garnett did come from a rough part of Chicago. And Kevin Garnett, when he did come to the NBA, he kept his swagger. He wasn't all of a sudden like, hey, guys, how's it going? Uh, I'm just here to play basketball. I think he kept himself 
authentic to, you know, his upbringing and who he felt he was. And, you know, he didn't turn into Urkel, in other words. But at the same time, Kevin Garnett was focused on his career, focused on making money, keeping money, making more money. And so it's not just a product of necessarily where you come from. In other words, grow up would be the main lesson in the message from Kwame Brown, who is, I understand, not the best messenger. We'll see what I think the more respected voices on Inside the NBA say about this uh, on Tuesday night when the NBA uh, resumes again after a night off. So that was one mistake. Uh, Kwame or John Morant, not from a tough background. Mistake number two was more glaring. And I don't know how I missed this, but I suck. I said that Philadelphia blew a three to one series lead against Boston. It was never three, one. It was three, two. I don't know why I whiffed on this. I don't know why Andy Poland didn't correct me, but I'm taking ownership of my mistake. I should be better. That was a huge fuck up air ball by me. I also heard, and I'll give him credit. Uh, pardon my take had a stat that in elimination games, And I don't know the exact number, but it's close to this. In elimination games, Doc Rivers is like 17 and 33 all times. I'm sorry, not in elimination games. In games in which Doc Rivers coached teams have a chance to win a series in any round of the playoffs, you know, kill shot games, he's 17 and 33 or something like one to two upside down the wrong way. That's incredible. Stat of the day. Well, I didn't really actually have the stat, but I heard it on the PMT podcast and uh, I'll give them full credit for wherever they got the stat, but that is incredible. At some point you have to fire Doc Rivers as a head coach and say, you know what? Great guy. Just not a good big game playoff coach. And he would not be alone in that Category. I would say in football, Marty Schottenheimer was a very similar guy. Great through the regular season. When it came to the playoffs, terrible. And that's because sports is hard. That's all it is. People are flawed. Sports are hard. And coaching is, it's a, it's a weird art form where you got to push, you got to prod, you got to pull levers. You got to realize in some leagues like the NBA, you're not the show. You're not the star. You don't really have the full clout that other sports have when it comes to being a head coach. All right, coming up right after this break, Marty Conway, professor of sports marketing and business at Georgetown University on the commander's sale and why, surprisingly enough, he changed my mind on the name change issue that Andy and I talked about yesterday. Marty's next. You're listening to the Zabecast. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If 2024 is the year you're jetting off to a new country, or even just want to expand your language skills beyond English, then I urge you to check out Rosetta Stone today. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program for over 30 years. Why? Because it works. Instead of drilling vocabulary words, with Rosetta Stone you learn by matching audio, from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills that fast-track your ability to communicate fluently. Not only is it a more effective way to learn, it's more fun. Rosetta Stone's advanced voice recognition technology gives you feedback on how well you pronounce words. Other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said. Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it. Rosetta Stone offers 25 languages with lessons available on your computer, phone, or tablet. And with a lifetime membership, you get forever access to all the lessons for all the languages and never pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, ZabeCast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Watching any sport is a hell of a lot more exciting when you got a little something-something riding on the game. But what happens when the season is over? At my bookie, there is no off-season. NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, boxing, heck, table tennis, MMA, and more. If they got it, you can bet it. If the games are being played, the line is on the board at my bookie. Just remember, where you bet, though, is every bit as important, if not more so than what you're betting on. That's why I tell all my friends to go to mybookie.ag. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big whatever, or these guys are in the market. Nah, Johnny come lately's. You want to trust them? Trust the bookie I've been working with for years, my bookie. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does it matter? Oh, I don't know. Maybe a million reasons. Better lines, better payouts, less rules. You name it. Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code CHARLIE, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo. That's promo code ZABE. And get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. You bet, you win, and most importantly, you get paid with mybookie.ag. Never a dull moment in the world of big-time sports. I didn't even say professional. 
because I think it's all professional now. At least that's the way it feels. Marty Conway, professor of sports marketing and business at Georgetown University, longtime consultant to numerous teams and leagues around the globe, and a man who is no longer on Jay Monahan's Christmas card list, but I don't think, Marty, you're too distraught over that. Uh, I am not. Uh, no, it's not something uh, that I spend much time worrying about, for sure. I almost, I almost labeled you a live apologist, but I thought, that's a bit much. I don't know if I'd go that. Are you going there to the event in D.C. next uh, week? Well, I actually, I was invited, unfortunately, on vacation, but I honestly, I probably would have gone just to see the experience. I'm more of an opportunist. I want to see this opportunity. I don't want to immediately... Um, you know, close it out as a result of whatever the, so, I mean, this is how things happen in the sports world is you challenge the incumbency. And unfortunately, in this case, the challenge comes from maybe from money that certain people yeah. feel uncomfortable about, but this is what happens. And you saw, look how the PGA's responded. They've basically replicated a lot of the live opportunities for their golfers. And this is how it happens. You know? Constant okay. disruptions. That's the nature of business. And when it comes to sports, sports is big business because people want to belong to things. They want to aspire to things. They want to be impressed and thrilled and entertained and be kept on the edge of their seat. And that's what sports does better than anything else these days. So that's why it's big business. You know it. I know it. We all know it. Let's get to the top headline story. The Dan Snyder sale of the commander's is finally official. It's not final yet. The paperwork will clear. Uh, Josh Harris will get the keys to Ashburn at some point here in the near future. First, the owners have to vote to ratify it, right? right. That's the next step. But it's it's as official as it's going to get. Was there any surprises en route to the $6 billion and one penny or so it seems final price tag? For me, maybe only that it wasn't seven billion. Maybe that's my only surprise. And to your question, to answer your question, I don't think they're going to have any trouble getting twenty-five or more owners to approve of this right. transaction. This is something they've been wanting to sweep away for several years now, and uh, trying to sweep away all the issues that go with it—the Mary Jo Wright report, all these different things that they can finally bury, and they'll never see the light of day, and they'll. There should be no leverage. Um, anyone, anyone that has leverage, yeah. to, to have them come out. If you were a Snyder apologist, and they are extremely few and far between, and you were to say this is crap, the league drove him out, cut death by a thousand cuts, all these investigations, all these potential scandals. What is the natural counter response to that? Well, look, I think today's response, what, what ownership understands more now than ever, is that winning on the field or you're winning off the field, or whatever, it's about the workplace. If you look at what the scandals are now that are hurting major professional leagues, the NBA, the NFL, and on and on, it's workplace culture, and that is not something that Dan Snyder ever really understood or addressed. So I don't know that there's a logical support of him in any way look except that um he bought the team for less than a billion dollars he did a lot of things to generate because at the end of the day those 25 or more owners that are going to vote for approval they see this as a good thing from the standpoint of the valuation of these franchises are now into hysterically high <laughs> end right. and that is what they see and the next person up 
is thinking, okay, like I've now more than quadrupled or whatever it is, you know, in terms of their original investment. So um, that's what they see. And they saw it in Denver and they applauded it. And now they're seeing it in Washington and they're giving it a standing ovation. I would say that uh, all these scandals are of his own making because he proved to be an exceptionally terrible businessman which was his one thing that a lot of people kind of hung their hat on early in Snyder's regime. They're like, all right, so he's a bit impulsive. He's playing fantasy football, but he's a smart businessman. He has proven he has not been a smart businessman. He has been a reckless one at that. And I hear that he may be, you know, a billion dollars in debt or more right now with all of his various stuff. A strong possibility, um, a lot of reasons for it. But just keep this in mind as a prominent, owner, sports owner, or what executive, whatever it is, I always keep this in mind. If you don't feed the media, the media will feed on you. And I don't think that along the way he ever discovered or ever was able to put somebody in place at the top of the organization that could do that, that could uh, strategically feed the media in a way that kept all these other things out. And he was hiring people that were a lot like himself, and ultimately, it just imploded upon him. And I would not be surprised at, with his other various business dealings that he's not walking away free and clear between $900 million that he bought the team for and $6 billion for sure. There's, there's more debts there than probably we want to understand. And this is a way for him to clean the decks. Right? Yeah. So he and his family. All right. Josh Harris 101. What's this guy all about? He's not Dan Snyder. How about that? Ding. Let's start with that. Ding. <laughs> I like him already. Tell me more. <laughs> well, I, look, on the one hand, I, I, I he is going to be a fresh, you know, he'll get a fresh slate. Now, reminder, the teams and the organizations that he's owned and been a part of ownership, they haven't won any championships. So it's not like he's coming in with a formula that says we do this, this, and this, right. and we turn into winning. The other thing I would be a little concerned in, I shared this the other day with somebody, is if you can really afford to buy an NFL team, why do you need 11 or 12 other partners, right? It didn't happen in Denver, doesn't happen in Carolina. And so I would be a little bit concerned about the number of people invited here into the picnic um, because if you really have the kind of money it takes to do big things, um, uh, then you should, you know, typically you look for to have that yourself. Now, the one thing is, Anybody that is coming along with him, whether it's Magic Johnson or the Rails Brothers or anybody else, Mark Ein, they got to be able to deliver a stadium to this franchise, period, end of discussion. This state, this franchise will not grow in any meaningful way until there is one of three locations, Virginia, D.C., or Maryland, that they're able to put a stadium package together and show people and show the league, because that's what other owners are looking to say is, can you bring us a new opportunity in the in the DMV? And that's what's key. So whether it's Josh Harris or any of his other partners, that's what they have to be able to deliver. One thing I'd worry about as a commander fan, if I were a commander fan still, see, caught myself there, is two different teams, two different sports, two different markets that maybe geographically are kind of close. They're very different. Philly is so different from D.C. in so many ways as a market. Will this guy have the bandwidth and the ability to run both teams effectively well he's going to need a serious leadership team here and when i say that i mean somebody that can look at the end of the day the dc area is a political area that's the geography so whether it's maneuvering amongst government state governments or the federal government 
or whatever it is, that has to be somebody that can come in. Maybe they have a political background or, or some other aspect that they can deliver. And then from the football side, at the end of the day, nothing is going to change unless redevelops a winning culture here. And uh, I don't know who that will be necessarily, but those are the two positions that have to be firm is on the business side, somebody that can deliver in the political community and on the football side, somebody that can deliver, you know, a Sean Payton like approach where they could come in and immediately make the kind of changes that turn it around within one to two seasons at the longest. There's not a long honeymoon opportunity here. I don't think right? Uh, because you have to prove that you can win. If he said the day he took over, we want to change the name. What do you think the league would say? So I think the league would say, we hear you, but there is a, this, let me, let me show you this other list of things that are more important than that, that you need to accomplish, right? The stadium is at the top of that list, sort of redeveloping a workplace culture that is risk-free for the league and some other things, because at the end of the day, the league is going to say, we can always do that. We don't think that cosmetically a change in the first two years would be something strategically that you should be concerned about. If you're thinking about the name change before you're thinking about some of these other important issues, then maybe we didn't pick the right person. Okay, so it looked it would look like lipstick on a pig, and that's a bad look. Well, again, I just think there whether are some it is or not, are, it would look yeah, like the priorities are, are out of whack. Central to the franchise, sure, sure, sure. That are actually going to make a difference, and uh, you know, right. and this would have to be something after it was done so publicly and so wrongly. Frankly, it would have to be done very privately. I would engage somebody within the first six months to do a very private study of whether, if you did make a name change, it was going to make a difference in the in the fan culture or not. And if it's not going to immediately make a big change then I would back burner it until such time. You have some momentum, you have a stadium behind you, you have a couple of winning seasons, and then I think any name change probably gets a lot more support. Yeah. All right. Well, we uh, we shall see what happens, but you're right. It's stadium, stadium, stadium while improving the culture. Improving the culture, I think, is relatively easy. You just hire good people and you let them do what they do best. And I've heard Josh Harris is good at that. And then you just let, let that pot sit and cure itself, which it will with good people. The stadium thing is a trickier deal because it involves the federal government. It involves the district of Columbia, politicians, egos, money, all that other stuff. Yeah. That's going to take a consortium of people who are supporting it. Again, you've got to have somebody that can galvanize that opportunity and then develop a consortium of political leaders who together will support it. Cause there will be opposition no matter where you go. It was mm-hmm. always my experience with two new stadiums, one in Baltimore and Texas, regardless of how wonderful and beautiful they were, there's always going to be a faction that says, no, not in my backyard. You need a consortium of people, not just the governor and not just a Senator here and there, but you need a solid consortium of people that will stand behind it publicly, which is difficult to do for politicians to stand behind publicly funded anything um, other than a library or, you know, new highway. All right. Two other sports. We go the NBA. They're headed towards what could be a Lakers Celtics LeBron involved finals. Wouldn't that be a treat for Adam Silver? How's the league doing? How's the association doing as we head (laughs) towards June? So the NBA has been set up to literally everything that they've done. The new labor deal, the uh, notion of an in-season tournament, all of that has been set up to get a new long-term media deal. And not just a domestic media deal, not just something here in the United States, but a global media deal 
that sort of reflects like the Premier League, the English Premier League. That's what the NBA really desires. And so on the one hand, you could say, you know, how healthy is the league? Obviously, they have a lot of issues at the box office. They have, you know, most of these all NBA players are playing 65 or less games or whatever it is. Right. But it doesn't seem to impact the idea that television and global media needs something like the NBA. And so I think from that standpoint, they're in a very good position. They've organized themselves to get probably a blockbuster media deal that brings some of the games, more games back to over-the-air television and some games onto streaming. And then, you know, we'll see what happens with the rest of the cable package. How bad will this John Morant thing be? Uh, Actually, you know what? As a cynic, I say it's happening at the right time because the season is about to end, you know, from the standpoint of playoffs. And so we go into the summer. So how much will we be talking about John Morant in the summer and the early preseason and all that? So um, I think there's going to be a lot of stories between now and the next time John Morant steps on the floor that might get in the way of this and people will just sort of, you know, forget about it to a certain extent. But there will have to be some additional punishment um, because I think from the standpoint of sponsors, whether it's in Memphis or wherever, they're going to stand behind this and say, this is not a league that we can be associated with unless you can do something on this issue of guns and, and, and young folks and, you know, being irresponsible like this. I think that's what their biggest concern is, not so much media, but corporate sponsors. Yeah. How the XFL do in its relaunch this year? So it works, and I, I've said this earlier. The reason that the XFL and the USFL, frankly, even exist right now is to fill the television spots between the end of the Super Bowl and roughly the beginning of June or something like that. Um, that's what they're there. I mean, if you look at who's invested in networks have invested in these leagues because they want that program and they're willing to share their investments. So it tells you everything that it's working in a new way. It works for television and all of these ideas where they're not even literally sometimes training in their home city and playing in neutral sites. They're doing this on a budget with the hopes that from a TV and media standpoint, it's something that could continue to be interesting. I don't think it's ever going to rival anything else in football, pro or college. I think it exists for about a three-month reason, and it satisfies the media's needs to have something on the air sports-wise, weeknights and weekends, in a period where otherwise they have a little bit of slack. Is one of the two leagues sustainable? Are they both sustainable as what I call lemonade stands? I mean, they're not going to make a ton of money, but they're going to make something. I think that's right. I think, look, I think they both have their objectives. And again, back to that network connection, I think there'll be some additional investment in them. And maybe again, maybe there'll be teams in Canada and Mexico and places like that. But it, it, it has to stay within the spring. It has to stay within an eight to 10 week period. And they have to be satisfied, frankly, with that. Uh, because there's little other interest of taking these teams to a home market and doing a lot of other expenditures that, frankly, they just won't be able to afford. Speaking of TV stuff, this was fascinating. So the Bally Sports uh, or Diamond Media Group, whatever the parent company is, unraveling is continuing in certain markets, certain teams being affected before others. One of them was Phoenix with the Suns, and new owner Matt Ishbia said, okay, well, since you're not paying us, we're going to take the rights to the games and put them on local TV, and we'll figure it out from there. I apparently then, from what I saw, Marty, uh, Bally or Diamond said, whoa, 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 whoa. 
we have the rights to you guys. You can't do that. And the Suns are like, yeah, but you haven't paid us. What's going on there? Yeah, well, I'm not the bankruptcy judge that my mother would have hoped. I mean, bankruptcy lawyer that my mother would have hoped for, right? Right. I can tell you that from a bankruptcy standpoint, it's very careful and very specific on what goes on at the end. And essentially, this bankruptcy judge, this court, has ruled that you can't just take this away from from Diamond and 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 Bally Sports. That there, you can't just reset and redecide. You're going on. You have to, as we say, negotiate. Now, right. maybe they will end up buying themselves out. Maybe that will be the case. But the key here is Abe is, and again, this is for a longer conversation. Is these games going on to over the air television in markets like Philadelphia and other places? is a chance. Go look at your cable bill the next time and ask your cable operator how much you're paying for what's called broadcast fees. I'll tell you on my bill, it's $21.50. That money goes to the local affiliates and the networks. That is 50% more than my RSN fee. So some people have figured out if we put these games back on these local affiliates, those cable operators will have to carry them because they have the games and they'll continue to keep the dollars coming in because there's no way that you're going to just sell ads or have a streaming package and make as much as you did on RFN. So it's a little back to the future, but we'll see if ultimately it comes out because the streaming business as a standalone business is nowhere close to what regional sports networks bring in dollar-wise. Right. Uh, And it will be a transition period for all of these leagues and all these teams, with the exception of the big ones, the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Yankees, who will continue to do fine on their own because of their market sizes. All right, so... I, even though you're not a bankruptcy lawyer, we can safely say that in bankruptcy, in situations like this, TV deals and rights deals are not like a Toyota Corolla that's three months late on payments. You don't just get to repo it in the middle of the night. You do not. The bankruptcy judge gets to step in and the court says, we're going to make this decision on sort of what happens to which goes where. Like I said, usually this leads to just some sort of settlement negotiations, a buyout, whatever it is, because it's very clear the Suns and their team have indicated, here's where we want to go. We're not even interested really in doing business with you anymore. We want more eyeballs on our games. And uh, I think that's going to be replicated across all of the leagues. All right. Major League Baseball. The numbers from attendance are good. They're up about 2,000 fans on average from ballpark to ballpark. They've got some of the same struggles with the RSNs that we just yeah. talked about. But how are the new rules working? How's the economics of MLB so far a month and a half into the year? It seems good unless you wanted to sell beer later in the game because obviously the seventh and eighth inning are coming faster than they ever did. Look, net-net, this is very good for baseball. Um, I think they'll figure out how to work this out on the TV side and make sure everybody has enough time to get their promos in between pitches and all of the things that come from this. But people have been asking for not so much shorter games, just more efficient games, right? Not having four pitching changes in an inning and a half an inning and things of the sort. So I think the fans had spoken. They worked this out through the minor leagues. They took careful consideration. And I think the players as much as they don't like to be called out on strikes, if they're not ready, I think they're learning this. And the newer players, the younger players, they've played this way in the minor leagues, so they don't see as much of a problem. You have some problems with some of the big-time players who are experiencing it for the first time. But I think net-net, this is good for baseball. It'll be good for their partners in media and all of that because it takes away one of the 
one of the disputed points about baseball was it just takes too long and there was a lot of wasted time. Right. And now that now that issue is not on the table and people can either criticize baseball for the game itself or not, but not because of the pace of play or other things um, that were sort of associated with the game. Yeah, I think it'll help certainly with some who are like, look, I like the sport, but it, it is too slow, too long. It's too slow. But for those that just don't like baseball, it'll be right. like your, your yeah. six year old child when you try to yeah. get them to eat a food and then yeah. you take away the onions or whatever they were objecting to. And then they find a new yeah. objection out of thin yeah. air. Like it's too green. What? Yeah. To me, this is like political sides. If you're looking for, you know, there's Republicans, Democrats, and then there's independents. And if your job is to go and look for independent, in this case, people that might have been on the fence about baseball, maybe that's where you're going to get some people. But people that were not into baseball on one other side of the ledger, they're not coming back. But it's good for your core. And don't forget, that's who you really want to satisfy, because as that core audience thins out over time, you've got to find some people to replace them. So I think it's good for the independents, if you will, younger people who are willing to give not just one game a season to attend, but maybe two or three because they like the experience. Then there's pickleball. Pickleball is rolling right now when it comes to licensing agreements, television deals, exposure, celebrities, buying into teams and leagues and everything else. Is it still as hot as ever? I'm not sure. Uh, At one time, snowboarding was going to replace skiing, if you remember. Yes. And not everybody... (laughs) Not everybody got on a snowboard, right? And so if you go to the hill today, you still see half pipes and snowboard parks and all that, but you still see a lot of people skiing. And so I don't think it's going to replace anybody's tennis courts or anything of the sort, but I think it will be an alternative to what I call the swing sports, right? And now it's something that might appeal to people that weren't going to be good at tennis or had stopped playing it or chose not to pick it up. So I think it fills a space in the swing sports, but I, I, I don't think that it's any, in any threat in big television ways or big sponsor ways to the traditional tennis, uh, you know, the masters, the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the majors and all of that. So right. it has a place and it fits into television and maybe that's just kind of where it ultimately will reside. All right. How's e-gaming? doing these days uh funny we have not heard much of it since the pandemic have we right no. that it was something that we talked a lot about is potentially replacing it now maybe when we get into the metaverse eventually when we get there we'll have some <laughs> component to that but again all those folks that thought e-gaming was going to replace going to the games people that thought snowboarding was going to replace skiing sometimes it just doesn't happen it doesn't pan out so there's an audience for electronic and sports gaming um, but I, again, I, I don't think it moves the masses in a way that makes a huge difference to us uh, five or 10 years from now. What about that NFT scam that was big as well? The same. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not holding on to any NFTs that I bought for 5000 that are worth <laughs> 500 now. So I guess I'm happy that I never got into that. But again, you know, just the longevity of this, it sort of comes and goes. But at the end of the day, going to a game, buying a subscription, buying a jersey, those are all things that still resonate and make the big difference in, yeah. uh, in sports. My whole retirement is tied up into about a dozen bored apes, which have plummeted <laughs> in value. And I also have about 10,000 shares of running back Arian Foster stock. 
which also is damn near zero right now. Whatever happened to that? Remember, remember him? He's like, I want you to buy stock yep. in me. Yep. I'm like, we're you're gonna, a running back. You're the biggest depreciating yep. asset on the planet. <laughs> we were going to invest in their contracts and hold a portion of it, right? And any winnings that came in, it's like a syndicate in the horse racing industry. Uh, you know, how many times do those syndicates actually win? Not very often. And so. did... Did, did anyone buy the Arian Foster stock? Do they still have it? Is it worth anything? Where does it trade? Or was yeah, it just a big waste of money where everyone lost their money that were dumb enough to do it? Well, unfortunately, those people that were on Twitter don't seem to be there anymore. So I think that answers that question. All right. Very good. Marty, as always, a pleasure. Give people your Twitter handle so they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at Marty Conway on Twitter. And uh, look forward to connecting you, everybody. All right. Good to talk to you, bud. Thanks. Okay, see, see you later. All right, we'll end on this. Mark Cuban once said about the NFL, hogs get fat, or pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Alluding to somehow that the NBA or the NFL was going to outreach itself, overextend itself in its greed and its constant voracious desire for more money. More money. More money at all times. And, of course, he was talking up his league, the NBA. By the way, series semifinal, the Lake, the Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, most watched conference semis, so that would be second round series, in 27 years. That's really good. That's going back to the glory days of late Jordan. Late Jordan in the late 90s. Most watched conference semis in 27 years. 7.8 million average viewers across ABC, ESPN, and TNT. The 7.8 number would have been better than a number of finals ratings in the last 10 to 15 years. So Cuban, though, was saying, ah, you know, the NFL, better watch it. Better watch it. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Look out. Well, the NFL announced on Monday that Peacock, the streaming unit of NBC, has won the exclusive rights to the playoff round next season in the wild card. It'll be the first ever exclusive live streamed only NFL playoff game. So if you want to watch that game in the comfort of your own home, you're going to have to pay $4.99 for at least one month or $59 for the year. For Peacock, if that's even what it costs a year and change from now. Seems kind of greedy. It's a wild card game. But this is the direction that the NFL is going. Oh, and one more thing. I didn't know this. The NFL apparently conducted some limited layoffs. I know what you're asking for right now. Did you just say playoffs? No, I said layoffs. Uh, playoffs? No, I said Don't layoffs. Talk about playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? No, I said layoffs. The NFL conducted some layoffs, citing the economic realities of the current year. This while pulling down $110 million to give a single playoff game to a streaming service. Albert Breer says that's a pretty good indicator of just who the owners really are. Yes. Yes, it does. 
All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Marty Conway for coming on. Have yourself a Cracker Jack Tuesday, as good as my daughter Megan will have on her 21st birthday. And we will see you next time. Never seen a day.